Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Zach Ziegler, in for Christopher Conover. This week, how the state went from a budget surplus to a deficit in one year. This time last year, nonpartisan economists who crunched the numbers on the state budget said Arizona was likely to end the fiscal year nearly $2 billion in the black. But last week, the Joint Legislative Budget Committee projected that the state will be short by a similar amount of money by the end of the fiscal year 2025. The JLBC noted that a big reason for the issue is a nearly 30% drop in collected income taxes as the state implements a new 2.5% flat tax. Sales and corporate taxes are also falling short, but by notably less. Another issue is the expansion of empowerment scholarship accounts, often called school vouchers, which is expected to exceed its allocation by almost $80 million this year. To learn more about the problem, we start by talking with Wayne Shutsky, a reporter on the politics desk at Phoenix area NPR station KJZZ. He starts by breaking down Governor Hobbs's proposed budget. It's a roughly $16 billion budget, and unlike last year when there was a lot of focus on spending all this extra money the state had, this year the big focus is on cuts um, as we're facing a projected budget deficit going into uh, next year. And how big that deficit is really depends on who you ask. Uh, Budget analysts at the legislature think it is going to be as high as $1.7 billion. The governor's office is a little bit rosier on those projections, so they think it's going to, if you don't implement any cuts, that it would reach around $900 million. So the governor wants to cut a range of things. The biggest one that's made the most headlines, not the biggest cut, but uh, the uh, kind of hottest topic is the, the school voucher program, the ESA program. She wants to reform that to reinstate a rule requiring that a student was in public school for at least 100 days before they become eligible. And they think that putting that requirement in there would immediately make around 49,000 kids who are currently on the program no longer eligible. And they project that would save around $244 million a year. So that's obviously a no-go with Republicans who are all very supportive of the voucher program. Uh, She also wants to roll back the tuition scholarship tax credit, which is another way that people pay for private school, could save another $180, $200 million a year. But again, Republicans aren't going for it. And without those cuts, the governor is not going to be able to close the budget deficit, even with her uh, more beneficial projections. We're going from a year where there's a forecasted surplus to a forecasted deficit. You mentioned one way the governor wants to bring in some extra money and another place she wants to cut. Does Hub's budget mention any other cuts? Yeah, and and there's some that actually could have some bipartisan support. She wants to roll back over $400 million in transportation projects that were included in previous budgets. Uh, So these are projects that either haven't started yet, um, can be paused, or maybe could get money from other sources. Republican chair of the House Appropriations Committee, Representative David Livingston, told me he could get on board with that, but he was concerned that the list the governor put forward was mostly Republican projects. So that could be a little hiccup there, but um, he's generally supportive of that idea of pausing some of these road construction projects. Your listeners also might be familiar with uh, the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority, which was a really obscure agency until former Governor Doug Ducey pushed for a plan to give it a billion dollars to help finance water projects to bring new water into the state. The most uh, well-known one was the proposal to 
uh, build a desal desalination plant in Mexico. So that was supposed to get an, another $330 million next year, that fund as part of that $1 billion plan. But the governor wants to scale that back to just $33 million, just saying at this point in time, given the deficit, can't afford to put the whole 333 in there. And Livingston also said he, he was on board with that idea. We've talked about some budget cuts that could make it through the Republican-controlled legislature. Are there other cuts that are probably as dead on arrival as the ESA reforms? Uh, no, I'd say that those school voucher, the school vouchers and the um, tuition scholarships are really the ones we're looking at where we're like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. The rest of them, I think there's room for negotiation. Um, will they get through exactly as she has them lined out in her current budget? Maybe not, but I think um, the rest of them are really about either clawing back existing projects that haven't started yet or aren't maybe necessary to be done immediately. But the going back to those projected deficits, even just by removing those two items, the this voucher program, that leaves, if we're going to go by the legislative projections of a $1.7 billion budget, that leaves hundreds of millions of dollars left where the lawmakers and the governor are going to have to come together and find additional cuts beyond what the governor is uh, proposing here. Surprise, surprise, a Democratic governor's proposed budget is met with hostility by Republican legislative leaders. What can we expect from here as far as steps forward and the start of negotiations? Uh, Republicans have said they're going to be putting out their priorities soon. I I had asked Livingston, you know, with the need for additional cuts, do the Republicans have some ideas that aren't included here? And he, he indicated they do. They're just not ready to to talk about them yet, but that they should be out soon. So you can imagine a Republican-led legislature, their their budget priorities are going to be quite a bit different than the governor's. Um, one point of agreement, at least initially, is the governor does want to um, send some more money, spend some more money on border-related issues. And that includes money to support local law enforcement, um, fighting the fentanyl epidemic, and uh, also supporting additional treatment, that kind of thing, through the Department of Health Services and Access. So. Republicans seemed somewhat supportive of that when the governor said it during her State of the State speech. The last time you were on the show, you and the regular host chatted about how likely it is to see Democrats try to rein in school vouchers in an election year. Now that there's a proposal on the table, do you still think Democrats might not tackle the issue fully so they can campaign on it as they try to take control of the legislature? I think it, I, I, the governor put out a pretty robust proposal to um, rein in the program, though it's not quite as ambitious as last year. Last year, she said she wanted to um, essentially reverse the universal expansion completely. Now she's taking a different tact and looking at more what she's calling accountability measures. So I think she's taking a little bit more of a measured approach to it. And I think that is being done with the campaign in mind so that they can go to voters and say, we think these are common sense reforms. We're not trying to get rid of the program altogether. We're just trying to make sure the money's spent wisely. None of those proposals are likely to make it through the legislature, but I think they can then take that to voters and be like, if you like this stuff, this is what we will do if we are um, in charge. Wayne, thanks for joining me and good luck in the session. Yeah, thank you. That was KJZZ politics reporter Wayne Shutsky. Back in 2021, when the Arizona legislature was debating a flat income tax, Jim Rounds' phone began ringing. He's the president of Rounds Consulting, a firm whose specialties include economic development and tax analysis. 
That prompted him to write a brief on the benefits and drawbacks of that tax on future Arizona state income. As the current debate over the state budget began playing out, Rounds Consulting took to social media to repost that paper. Mr. Rounds joins me now. Jim, welcome. Thanks for having me. Two and a half years ago, you noted a tax cut of this type was possible, but there was a few caveats to think about. The end of one-time federal funds, state-shared revenue to municipalities, and maybe a sales tax increase were some of them. What are the big things that you came across in your research and your experience, and do you think that those happened before the tax went into place? Well, well, it wasn't our first rodeo. We, we've gone through other recessions. We went through the Great Recession uh, that had lasting consequences. We were involved in writing the jobs report for the legislature that um, helped support some new tax rates, regulatory reform, um, setting up economic development programs. We've been involved in a lot of these different things. The What was different about the, the COVID recession is that there was a lot of money being spent by the federal government and there was a lot of stimulus out there from the Federal Reserve Board, and it was making money really easy to access and very cheap. And so it was lifting the economies beyond what you would normally see. Arizona has done a really good job on the economic development policy since the Great Recession. Uh, but we even saw other states that haven't been performing as well. Like even California had a budget, budget surplus for a short period, and they blew that pretty quickly. But it, it was pretty evident that a lot of these were one time. So that was some of the stuff that we were cautioning. It was this money may also be one time. Maybe we need to spend it on one time items. So it, it was it was a word of caution because people were moving very quickly and there wasn't as much economic uh, analysis as I thought there should have been. And so we thought we would um, stand up and say, hey, we got something to say. And, you know, we took a few shots back for doing it, but I think it was worthwhile. Critics of the cuts uh, have long said that, you know, Arizona's income tax is low enough to be competitive. We're never going to compete with Texas and Florida, who have a 0% income tax. What are your thoughts on the previous tax and if it was competitive enough to entice people here? Well, we did the math. We were the ones, we were the only ones that did the math when we had to deal with that income tax increase proposal uh, to be spent on education. It was going to create a lot of economic harm. And we led the way and provided the estimates, what we thought the job losses were going to be. So we were on that side of it. But when we also did the math on a flat tax, uh, we didn't see much benefit uh, for going below about three and a half, maybe 3%. Uh, but we recommended three and a half percent for the flat tax because we didn't think there'd be much gain beyond that. And it'd be good to have the extra money to spend on some other things like the workforce development, which is going to be challenging for us going forward if we're going to keep growing businesses at the rate that we're growing them. And we need to spend money at the universities and in other places. And these are just basic facts. You know, we're not trying to land on the moon or something like that. We're just providing common sense recommendations. We did have to do something about the tax being raised so much because uh, we we're going to have one of the highest um, income tax uh, brackets in the country uh, once we implemented that uh, extra uh, tax increase that was going to pay for some uh, additional education investment. So even though it looks like we're leaning a little bit left with what we wrote, we've been right in the middle. We, we, we base our analysis on math. We don't base it on 
you know, political dogma, depending on what party we're in. But I think there's something to be learned from this. I think you got to look back and say, okay, well, what can we do going forward? I, I think it was a big mistake for the legislature to get involved in calling things one time, but they, they're now calling it ongoing one time. What the hell is that? It, it's either ongoing or it's one time. It's not both. When it's When it's expected to be ongoing spending, so people are legitimately anticipating that it's going to be spent every year, but they call it one time. It's just a means of not putting that extra dollars in expenditure in the out years of your forecast, which makes the fiscal problems look uh, less severe. Nobody does that. I mean, even the worst bookkeepers in their homes and the most poorly performing businesses wouldn't do it that way. Why should government? So is Arizona going to be able to cut its way out of this deficit or does the state need to do what you were recommending and start thinking about, you know, three, three and a half percent flat tax instead? Uh, they're not going to raise taxes. It, 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 we're, we're, we're locked in at that two and a half percent. But I do think we can get through it, it, the, if you, a very mild downturn. And this is another thing where we had to do the math because other people wouldn't do it. To get through a mild downturn, you need about a billion dollars. To get through a typical one, you need about a billion and a half. And a severe one, you need about two and a half billion. Well, we have the billion and a half. Let's say we utilize some of that to make things um, where we can still be investing in the right places and not cutting budgets too much. Uh, we still have a billion left. That gets us through the, a very mild downturn, which is the most that anybody's expecting anyway. So we're okay just looking at those statistics. But we, this is also a good time to maybe um, cut the fat out of government in some places. I think it's uh, the, the, the great thing about the business cycle, it gives us an opportunity to reevaluate what we actually want to spend taxpayer money on. Because when you have extra money, all these new quote unquote needs arise. Then when you're losing money, uh, you can cut from those areas. The problem is we often add money to where we see these new needs arising, and then we don't cut it from those same places. We'll cut it from a university budget, or we'll maybe have a negative impact on uh, the cities and counties by rating some of their monies. Uh, so it, it gets back to what's good policy. I don't think that we're in a hole that we can't get out of. I think that the people that put the 2.5% together were too, too aggressive, but I don't think we need to raise it. Uh, but we have to be very careful with spending increases going forward. We have to spend it in the right places. We have to start thinking about how businesses run their budgets, and that's looking at high ROI items. I think we need to look out for taxpayer money in the same way. So we're actually taking a very conservative approach. What we're recommending is doing exactly what the private sector does when they run a successful business. But it also means that you got to put aside your political book of dogma, whether you're Republican or Democrat, and just accept the fact that maybe the things that you thought were to be fully true maybe aren't. Maybe it isn't all about having the lowest tax rate. Maybe it's about having competitive taxes, but also a competitive workforce, good roads. When times of a financial crisis come up at the state, I'm sure it makes your phone ring and your uh, your emails uh, start rolling in. Any chance we can talk you into sharing what you're telling people right now as they're asking you how to handle this uh, this budget crisis? Well, well, right now, it's been a lot of what we already covered. It's been, um, you have a little bit more flexibility with spending some of the rainy day fund money. That was the intent. Um, we're not going to be raising taxes. That's just not going to be realistic. Uh, so we have to be careful with our spending going forward. Uh, but I really would like to see the state become more aggressive in areas where we're generating more money than it's costing us. I, I think one great opportunity is in tourism. 
and we have to deal with statewide tourism. I want to help the rural communities as well. But a very small dollar amount leveraged with other monies at the local level uh, can turn into a huge benefit to the taxpayer where we're collecting maybe four, time, four or five times the amount that we're spending. Uh, so that's going to allow us to have lower tax rates in the future or higher quality services or a combination of the two. We got to focus on these ROI items. I think we have to continue to focus on uh, university investment, you know, despite the fact that we had a lot of budget problems at the University of Arizona, it doesn't mean that investment in higher ed is no longer needed. We need to have the technical degrees and the bachelor degrees. We need them both and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So if, if we're going to invest in areas that's going to generate more revenue than it's costing, that's helping the taxpayer, it's helping the state, it's helping businesses. That's again, how, an, how a business would operate. Lawmakers say we got to run government more like a business. Well, business would make these investments. All right. Jim, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, of course. That was Jim Rounds of Rounds Consulting. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Zach Ziegler, in for Christopher Conover. We're looking at an expected shortfall in the state budget this week, asking how the state got to a projected $1.7 billion deficit for fiscal years 24 and 25, and what might be done to fix the problem. The centrist think tank, the Grand Canyon Institute, often finds itself offering analysis this time of year on matters of the budget and new programs proposed by the legislature. And this year is no different, as GCI started 2024 by warning about the impact of the new flat tax and how it would affect the budget. Dave Wells, the center's research director, joins me now. Dave, welcome. Good to join you. Let's start with that paper I just mentioned. It's entitled Eliminating Progressive Income Tax Yields Structural Deficit. Is it a little too simplistic for people to think that this issue is caused entirely by this new tax going into effect? I don't think so, because uh, what if what the legislature did in 2021, and it phased in a little bit in uh, tax year uh, 2022, but phased in fully in 2023, is they massively lowered um, individual income taxes um, to the cost of approximately $2 billion. I mean, they lowered uh, taxes by that. And we estimated uh, because the highest tax bracket was 4.5%, and they knocked everything down to 2.5%. Uh, that meant that the people who benefited the most were the people who had the most money. Uh, so the the top 5% of taxpayers, people who have $200,000 or more in income, um, received $1.4 billion of that to approximately $2 billion. And that's, you know, if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be talking today about the problems with the budget. And it happened because of a, a unique circumstance. During COVID, the, there was a huge surplus in the budget. And I, it was hard to know exactly why that occurred. I think a lot of it had to do with the billions of, of COVID dollars that came into the state. And that created a situation where they were able to cut taxes and they'd have to cut programs at the same time or raise taxes for anybody else. And I think it was a special circumstance and it was a poor choice. So I th- that's, to me, is still a, the driving thing. Of course, there are little things here or there, you know, the, how well the stock market does, like capital gains and things like that. Uh, for the most part, I, it is the flat tax that has created this. This episode, we've already spent a fair amount of time now talking about what caused the issue. Let's move on to, depending on your point of view, the, uh, the outcomes or the ramifications of, of what might happen now. Do you have any thoughts or predictions on where we'll see cuts or where maybe we should see cuts uh, come the next budget in the state? 
Yeah, so that that's the interesting part. So the executive put forward a budget, um, and they put forward a rosier um, fi- uh, revenue picture, and they also made some assumptions that they could reduce um, the costs of the ESA program, which likely won't you know happen in in uh, real time. Uh, and I also wanted to keep in mind that the uh, 25 uh, deficit is an understatement because that's based off of a, a very base spending. Um, it doesn't include a lot of spending that will probably need to happen. Like the governor included about $200 million for healthcare spending in prisons because we have a lawsuit related to that. So I don't know what's going to actually happen. I mean, last time around, um, so there's going to, what they're going to do is they'll do funding sweeps, which is what they did uh, before. You know, they so look for these other funds where people have paid little fees for stuff and then they'll sweep that. The governor takes about $300 million for that. And I think that's going to be probably a, a, you know, a key source for the current one. And then there are a lot of one-time monies that were spent. Um, so there's some transportation projects that are probably going to get um, that they put there was money put forward last year that haven't been spent yet that they will probably pull that back from. Um, so probably do things like that for this year. And then going into next year, the, the fiscal year, which starts on July 1, that's where it'll be really interesting to see what happens or disturbing. There'll be I mean, certain things like um, education and, and Medicaid that they have to fund. But beyond that, um, you might see uh, cuts to universities, which is something that uh, happened uh, in the early years of the Ducey administration when they had a deficit. Well, it's really hard to know exactly what they're going to do. Uh, there's not like one special pot that they can just say, oh, we just get rid of this, we'll fix it. Uh, so you mentioned education funding. I mean, that is more than 40% of the state budget, K-12 through education. School funding, especially the last, you know, five to 10 years, has been quite a topic in this state. There's somewhat of a commitment now to funding education a little better. Do you think that's going to be enough to keep education funding up or is some of it in danger? Some of it's in danger. And there's also going to be conversations about what's what's Prop 123, which is the state land trust uh, dollars. And the governor put out a plan, uh, which I don't think is a a feasible plan. She wants to take uh, a larger percent per year, which is another way you could try to address it by focusing on education. And land trust money does go for education, but it's expiring. But we have really critical problems. Um, At the beginning of the school year, about one in six uh, teaching positions wasn't filled, you know, through normal procedures. And you've either got um, teachers, uh, existing teachers being stretched or emergency teachers put in there um, or classrooms combined in a lot of cases. And this is that's just not good or sustainable. Uh, and and there's a $300 million um, supplemental appropriation in the current year budget um, that probably won't be carried over till next year. Um, there's a They're required to increase it by um, 2% or the growth of the uh, gross domestic product. So they're going to have to increase uh, the base spending by 2%, but they probably won't do much more than that uh, outside of whatever they come up with with Prop 123. So I don't think that you know, the fundamental issues of our underfunded uh, education systems are going to be helped. And again, another pl- place where you know the monies that are going to support kids going to private schools um, is you know also draining from the Department of Education's ability to be properly funded. So if you look at the budget kind of like a big pie, the, the next biggest slices in it uh, go to the state's Medicaid program, corrections, economic development programs. Do you think any of those are, are in any sort of a danger for cuts out that are maybe a little more outsized of the portion of the budget they make up? Um, I don't think so. I think so. Medicaid is mostly funded by the federal government. So the, the federal government 
um, covers probably roughly maybe three quarters of the cost of Medicaid in, in, in the state. So, um, and there's formula requirements about that. And then prisons, I mean, I think there's definitely money in the long term that could be saved with prisons. Um, I do volunteer work uh, in the prisons and um, and prisons aren't well funded. Uh, I mean, and there's it's a it's a challenging situation, but there's also a lot of reform we could actually do because there's a lot, the guys I work with in the prisons. Um, a lot of them have really done a lot of great work to really improve themselves, but they have really long sentences, um, and uh, we don't have a we don't have an earned release system that's really comprehensive. Uh, and we we could do a lot to reduce. The, we have a higher incarceration rate than almost any other state. So there's lots of things we could do in the long term. Uh, I think to uh, lower our incarceration costs, but those won't be short-term fixes. It'd be interesting to watch what happens with the Commerce Authority. Uh, so this is uh, essentially when the state provides uh, various kinds of tax incentives for businesses to come here. And Commerce Authority uh, is something that Jay Kaufman, who is uh, one of the most conservative members of the of the legislature, and he's been chairing the, the committee that has been sort of stalling um, Hobbs' uh, director nominees. He's come out against the Commerce Authority so it's, that'll be sort of an interesting thing because it, it has to be reauthorized, otherwise it disappears. Um, and so that's going to have an interesting inter- impact where the business community might be at loggerheads with some of the Republicans. So there have been some murmurs about uh, how state shared revenues for municipal governments might be affected. Who would cuts to such programs like that tend to hurt more? I mean, is this going to hit the big cities, you know, Tucson, Phoenix, or is it going to be the rural communities, places like, you know, Saurita, Benson? Yeah, so state shared revenues are what the, the way that works is the part of the corporate income tax and the individual income tax goes to cities. And the idea behind that was so that cities wouldn't, wouldn't impose their own income taxes. And they when they made the flat tax, um, they increased uh, from 15 to 18 uh, percent. There's the percent that actually goes to cities and towns. So the idea is that they would be able to um, be compensated for that. They're going to be um, so some places which rely more on that as a source of revenue are going to have um, greater financial issues. Yeah, you know, with a cut in the individual income tax, um, there's going to be less um, money available to cities and towns as well. Uh, one last question for you. I asked this with a bit of personal interest as because technically I'm an employee of the University of Arizona. Are we at risk of this budget debate going past June and possibly causing a state government shutdown? I think they'll actually probably come closer to agreement this time. There's, so there's not a question of, of you know, being able to spend extra money for the most part. I mean, there are a few different areas where they're going to have to dicker about things. But for the most part, it's about how they're going to go about cutting things and so forth. And again, fund sweeps end up being really popular because you're able to basically find money that hasn't been used, that's designated for something else, and you just sort of steal it and use it for the general fund. And so you're probably going to see that, you know, as a, a key thing. And so my sense is that you'll probably, we probably won't be, uh, they'll probably come to a budget agreement. I mean, it won't be like in April, but it probably by May or early June that we'll probably see a, a budget agreement come through. All right, Dave. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. That was Dave Wells, Research Director at the Grand Canyon Institute. And that's The Buzz for this week. Find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR app. Paula Rodriguez is our producer this week with production help from Desiree Tucker. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. 
I'm Zach Ziegler. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.